This is just me. Okay, episode nine, and we're rolling. Episode nine, man. Wow. We've made it so far. <laughs> what a journey it's been. Oh my God. We're getting close to the season finale. Are we not? Are yes, we, yes, hope. we are. Yeah, it's we been a do. Long year. I put a note in our outline to plug our next couple episodes towards the end of the year, which will be more like popping off bat, grab bag, as we always do. We love those; they're fun. We know you guys love those, so we'll continue to do that <laughs> to close out the year. Exactly. How you doing, Dee? I'm doing good. Post Thanksgiving, we're recording this after Turkey Day. It's been a quiet, nice long weekend. I am feeling like a mix of really grateful. I did have some like good moments the last few days where I was able to kind of reflect and be grateful for this year and everything that has happened and everything I've accomplished, which is great. I had a moment when I was taking a walk after being very full of food on the promenade in Brooklyn Heights and just like looking out at the skyline all lit up and feeling like wow I like remember looking at this skyline when I was you know first moved to New York and was just trying to figure everything out in my early 20s and now I'm here and so that was really nice to just like reflect and have a moment to be truly like present in my gratitude in a way I think sometimes we like sit around the table we say like oh I'm grateful for my job stability and like family and health and all of that but it was nice to have like my own little internal quiet like moment of gratitude for myself and my journey so that was nice but I'm feeling a little anxious about going back to work and I saw a post yesterday from my boss that was really relevant of like when you're body and your mind is always in anxious go 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 mode like relaxing and and slowing down feels unsafe it's like your flight or flight you know system goes off for the wrong for the opposite of how it should be and so I'm feeling a little bit like that where it's been a few days of rest which has been good and restorative but also the anxiety keeps kind of coming up where I'm like why why are you relaxing like you should be in go 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 mode or is even while I'm trying to like lay back and chill I'm feeling like oh I should be doing something I should be doing something or like this is not right like this doesn't feel it feels weird right it feels abnormal which is not how it should be so I'm trying to be aware of that and uh, address it and just know that you know it's okay to rest and even though my systems are a little bit off and backwards I can re- I can still reverse them you know it's not the end of the world but it, it's a weird feeling to know that you're like warped in that way you're like wronged in that way <laughs> wow being an anxious person is just so fun <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's a blast, really. <laughs> it's just... I love having to, you know, like, unmind fuck ourselves yes. all the time. Exactly. It takes a lot of work, ment- a lot of mental and emotional jujitsu, you know, backflips and reframes and <laughs> so many somersaults. <laughs> but, you know, it makes you stronger. And if you have to write down an affirmation or two or just take some deep breaths, that is okay. I was, like, walking around the house this morning like going 
<sighs> just uh-huh. like deep breaths to like chill for no reason because nothing was going on and everything was fine. But so, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I respect the, the game. <laughs> I often feel like, especially when we see each other at work, when we see each other taking deep breaths like that, that is our signal as if we were in the wild mm-hmm. <laughs> to each other. Yeah. Like animals in the rainforest being like, oh, Dana's doing the deep breaths. I'm doing the deep yep. breaths. And just say like, I see you. Yeah. Well, you're not, your you're body has to get a little primitive. And it, it is nice to have someone to look deeply into each other's <laughs> eyes and go like, yep, we're there. Uh, yeah. And what is it? The, the soothing of the parasympathetic <laughs> yeah. nervous system or exactly. whatever is crucial like getting getting back to the basics is all you can do something that really helps me when I'm anxious is obviously the deep breaths but um like just just sensations on the skin in general really help me so I'll go out for a walk in the cold yeah and just like acknowledge how the wind is hitting my face or the Mm. way the sun feels on my skin and things like that because it's just like the most basic thing you can do and um, yeah, it's just back to basics. It reminds you that you're human, too. Yeah. You're not a machine. You're not meant to sit at a desk all day. Right. You're not whatever mistake went happened in that moment or whatever thing you just slacked. Like, that doesn't define you, right? So I, I love that. Well, h- how are you doing? How is your week, girl? Yeah, it's funny with, like, the long weekend of Thanksgiving, really trying to compartmentalize my anxiety, for sure. There are parts of me being like, work, 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 and figure out all your shit, and da, da, da. There's another part of me that's like, you need to calm down, you need to sit, you need to rest, kind of ignore those anxious thoughts about work. So, you know, the two sides are constantly fighting, both things are kind of true. And then, yeah, I mean, I think Thanksgiving, the holidays are hard for a lot of people. And I mean, even hard for people who have families to go back to and have a full Thanksgiving meal and have events to look forward to, working out family dynamics. Maybe you're in your feels about some other things, about your relationships, this and that. Um, It's very easy to get lost in the feels. So I have like three kind of (laughs) wheels in motion right now in, in my brain as I work through all these things. So can't say it's been the most mentally or emotionally restful time for me, but I also use this time to explore more about myself and mm-hmm. evaluate my growth because everything I'm going through now is something I've also gone through in the past, mm. but I'm learning to deal with things differently. And so it's a nice to yeah. see, you know, has therapy worked for me? <laughs> Have I become more of an adult? Like, I, am I a more rational, compassionate person towards myself and others as I work through this? So I always kind of treat myself as my own experiment on, on how I'm doing and how I'm growing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, taking stock right now. It's a good time to just reflect and, and get in touch with like, yeah, as things slow down, as the weather cools off, like... What have I done? What, where am I at? Am I on the right path? So I love that. Yeah. And just a few more weeks question. until like the longer break, which we're almost what, there. We're like oh, <laughs> holding on for dear fucking life. So there's a, there's a light at the end of the 2022 tunnel. <laughs> somewhere. Yes, it is coming. It is near and we can all take a much needed rest. Um, Well, today we're doing something a little bit different with our episode. We are going to dig into what are the cultural influences that really shaped us as humans, shaped how we see 
ourselves growing up into adulthood, etc. And so we are kind of digging into all of the things that impacted us from a cultural perspective, whether it's TV shows, movies, sports, music, Mm -hmm. books, culture at large and general pop culture, etc. And we're just going to talk about like, what are the things that influenced us, why they influenced us, what made them so important and formative for us in our lives. And, you know, to connect it back to the the theme of our entire podcast, I'm sure it's not just us that that have had these TV shows or books or movies or, you know, even personalities influence our lives and how we see ourselves. So we're excited to share with you guys and hopefully hear some some familiarity and some relatability in that too. Yeah, I think I'm very excited for this because I feel like a lot of our episodes have been about the core fundamentals of nature and nurture. Mm-hmm. And that just means obviously traits passed down to us from our, our families, but also the way we were brought up mm-hmm. in a more nuclear setting. So it's nice to take that step to the outer rung of like just culture, pop culture influences, which also play a huge, huge part. So, yeah, we'll dive in after the break. Can't wait. Yeah. We're digging into our cultural influences. So Katie, I would love to hear from you. What's one of the kind of big pop culture influences that had an effect on you growing up or in your even in your adult life? Yeah, I think definitely starting back to my younger years. Me and my sisters were very sporty. We played all different kinds of sports. Soccer was a huge one for us. Like watching the Olympics was huge for us. It was always a big event. And so... I think it was 97, the USA women's soccer team made like a really huge impact for the sport when these women won the World Cup. And I'm, I think everyone remembers Brandy Chastain, penalty kicks, you know, scores the winning goal, falls to the ground, swinging her shirt around. And I remember just looking at her and even just like seeing the muscles on her body mm. and her hair was a mess, animalistically screaming and yelling with pride and joy and strength. And for a seven-year-old, I was incredibly moved. It's really been defining for me of like what strength can look like for women. Mm. I think for so long we're told like we have to be intelligent and we have a strong emotional intelligence and so much of it comes from within and and that is 100% true. But this was the first time I was seeing women not care what they look like in Mm. order to achieve a goal or what they sounded like or what came out of their mouths. It 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 felt like true equality to me that men can look ugly and men can sweat and men can scream in the name of playing sports and actually women can do that too we don't have to look pretty it was just the most obvious physical representation of what strength for a woman could be so like to me having physical strength i was like that is something i can build over time or being good at something physically is something i can do really well that's how i want to show my strength um And it it just made the world a little bit more equal for me. Like I never admired men in sports more than I admired women after that. Cause I was like, they're the winners. Like women can be the best in the world. That's something. I think that was just super, super eye-opening for me and made me feel like 
anything was possible. So I just, through sports, this has been so illuminating on so many different levels from like a physical perspective of, oh, I can be like strong and that's cool to, you know, fighting against the patriarchy because you know what you're worth and fighting against all these other societal constructs, especially in sports, which is so hard for women. Um, it's kind of affected me in a hundred different ways. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that at seven years old, even, and obviously, you know, it still bleeds into your influences and your experience throughout your life, but that you kind of picked up on so early on those, those boundary breaking elements of it, right? To your point, it's showing women through the lens of physical strength, not just emotional strength or, you know, emotional fortitude, showing how women can work in a team, right? And be a powerful force as a team, which I think a lot of pop culture in particular, and even the sports culture pits women against each other, right? Or, you know, motherhood is a very solo adventure, right? But the idea that like, sports requires you to work really well as a team and that women can work well as a team and be effective in that respect and then also like women can win to your point women can perform at the highest level like I think we tend to put women in the supporter role right or you always see that you you always have that iconic image of like the camera and football games or whatever panning to the wife sitting in the stands cheering on her man and the idea that this was a real symbol of women being able to to win at the highest level, to win something. And to, to your point about the, you know, taking off her shirt and really celebrate. And also women can celebrate their wins, right? Yeah. And their, their accomplishments in the same visceral way that men can. Like, yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting that even at a young age, you were able to pick up on all of those, like, yeah, big boundary breaking, you know, elements of this of this game and, and of the, the sport in general. So that's really, really cool. Yeah, it real like I think the one of the beautiful things about sports is you just appreciate what the human body can do. Mm-hmm. Like it brings us all down to the human level yeah. of physical excellence, you know, and when you're watching women play like you're just evaluating them as human beings mm-hmm. and that's how I want to be seen in this world. I feel I'm sure that, you know, that as a formative experience in and of itself. And as a result of that, I think, not a direct result, but you know, following up on that, other figures in sports, female figures like Serena or yes. Naomi or Simone have also had like big moments in shaping sports in a new way. And I just wanted to know if like that also had like kind of a red thread to what you saw and felt in that moment growing up now as an adult like are you how does it make you feel to see these other women in other realms of sports or Megan Rapinoe even still in the U.S. soccer world how does it make you feel yeah I mean it still makes me feel like we have miles and miles and miles (laughs) to to go go in terms of being treated fairly I think people like Serena or Megan um have been able to really prove our worth and like bring personality and bring swag and bring all these other dimensions of themselves into the sport. We're not now at a baseline of, oh, they win, therefore they're good and we'll accept. Now it's like, 
okay, they're fucking cool. They've signed with Nike. They have their own line. I want to look like Serena. And I don't want to just play like her. I want to be like her. Just, you know, things like that where we are seeing the dimension of women come out through sports. And so I am grateful that we have made the strides to see that. And then the other side of it is I'm still, you know, a bit discouraged where we can have the best tennis player of all time right in front of us. And we still say, but, you know, the men are better and are worth more and da-da-da. You know, I still follow lots of sports accounts just to track things. And you still see men devaluing women. So it's like, yes, we've made progress, but but there is the constant reminder that we still have miles to go. But I'm I'm very I'm very proud and I'm very grateful for the, for the people who have pushed it forward. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. All right, that was like one of my like big foundational <laughs> ones and, you know, I'm like, whatever. It's like, fuck the patriarchy. And like, if, if the world just existed with women's sports, I think everyone actually would be happier. Anyway, anyway, um, Dana, you tell me, what, what is a big piece of culture that has influenced you greatly? Well, if you know me, you know that there is one central piece of culture to my <laughs> upbringing, to my identity, to my, I guess, cultural map. And that is what <laughs> seems very superficial now in light of the impact that women's soccer had on you. But yes, I'm going to pivot to a very iconic TV show, a teen drama from 2000, that ran from 2003 to 2007 called The O.C. <laughs> starring Ben McKenzie and Adam Brody, some good folks. Uh, Rachel Bilson, uh, Rachel Bilson, Misha Barton, the iconic I, Peter, Sandy Cohen. Yes, yeah, Sandy Cohen. Of course, <laughs> I literally can't remember his last name. But yeah, a great. So the OC is absolutely like a fundamental, formative piece of my identity, and I I watched it growing up in high school, and I think the reason that it resonated so much with me was because it was a show about outcasts and outliers Um, every character in their own way was a little bit off or their path had taken them on a different on a different path whether it was Sandy Cohen being a Jew from the Bronx who somehow landed in the OC of all places Orange County married to this sort of waspy wife who was his opposite in so many ways and he was a public defender in the midst of a very rich you know opulent city or town or whether it's Kirsten, his wife, who decided to, you know, yes, she fit, was in the family business and she was your typical waspy wife, but she decided to marry this this man and she went to Berkeley and she kind of went off her own path of being a traditional, you know, uh, waspy wife. Or Seth Cohen, their son, right, being sort of the nerd and the geek in the, the midst cutest. of this. Yeah, the cutest gr- nerd and geek who had so much potential, obviously, in the midst of a very very like you know popular crowd a high school with a lot of hierarchy etc and Ryan Atwood the main character you know deciding to he was so smart and intelligent and had high SAT scores etc even though he was from nothing and grew up in a very dysfunctional household with most of his family in jail etc so I really resonated with all of these different interwoven narratives of people who had something that was different about them that made them a bit 
outside of society or outside of the norm and how they all came together to sort of create their own family and create their own really powerful nurturing you know nuanced relationships together and so I really loved it for that reason I was sort of felt a little bit different and like an outcast in my own world because I was a mixed kid because I just didn't feel like I belonged in like the Texas (laughs) football culture Mm -hmm. suburbia was very strange to me and so yeah it really resonated with me to have this show that kind of showed the outcasts winning in a way Mm -hmm. and finding each other and not being so alone and so so yeah it it had a huge impact on me and I I think you know whether it was the music whether it was the like evolution of the characters and their really rich arc or just the myth of California too I think for me was like a nice escape from my suburban hell it really made me feel like I was seen in that show and it was smart and clever and it didn't dumb down the viewer you know a lot of teen dramas were just you know playing to the typical tropes of like love interests love triangles you know the different typecasted characters or archetypes and I feel like the OC really treated the viewer as a smart clever viewer and actually made a show that was really really intelligent and clever and didn't just focus on these teens but focused on their parents and their dynamics and dealt with real shit whether it was class differences or you know father son mother daughter dynamics etc nerd culture geek culture versus popular kids like I really felt like they dug into some interesting themes that really made me think about what kind of person I want to be and what kind of friends I want to surround myself with and how my parents own issues were affecting my issues growing up so uh, so yeah, it was very formative, uh, and I ended up teaching a class on it at Duke because it was so formative and it was so rich, and there was so much source material that was worth digging into, and it has remained kind of a mainstay in my life of something that I not only return to to watch just to comfort myself for sure, but also to kind of get in touch with myself and my identity and who I want to be. I always talk about how like I want to be like the Coens when I'm have my family and have sort of an open door policy where my kids can like bring their friends into our home and I can get to know them and so it's not just like our family but the family that we create together and stuff like that so I I do think it has it was formative then but there's certainly like elements of it that I still you know think about a lot and try to weave into my own life but (laughs) I love it I I have a question for you and I'm projecting from my experience of those see but I'm need to ask I think you were smarter than the average however old you were what like 10 11 12 I think it was like 13 13 okay so clearly Dana is smarter than like the average person let alone 13 year olds (laughs) and can see a few levels deeper into the story Mm -hmm. where you got all this stuff out of it me not being as smart as you, I, you know, I took the storylines a little bit more superficially. Mm-hmm. And for me, I struggled relating to any of these characters mm. because they were all beautiful. Yeah. Rich. They were so rich in a world in a world that wasn't just inspirational, but like aspirational. Right, right. I'm like, that woman could have an open door policy because she has the money to feed right. 10 children who just feel like coming over. And to me, I don't think I, I liked it as much as you because I was just like, 
this is so out of my world and my context. Did and and also the people were beautiful and smart and always had the right thing to say and that all of those things were just not me. <laughs> did did you ever struggle with that like aspirational aspect of it? Yeah, definitely. I think to a certain extent I like I liked it because it was an escape. It felt mm. so different from the life that I led in so many ways, but also the same. I think that juxtaposition was kind of what was interesting. Like, yeah, I, I didn't grow up in a gated community, right? Like, I didn't grow up by the ocean. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I grew up with really strict parents who weren't cool with me, you know, having a car and doing cool things. Like, so it was very separate and disconnected from the life that I understood, and it so it did really in that way but I think what I liked about it was that even in the midst of this like very aspirational like oh I wish I could be there type of place and environment the people the characters still struggled with the same issues of feeling alone feeling isolated feeling different feeling you know not a part of something feeling like they didn't belong so that's why it resonated but yeah I think it's definitely not relatable (laughs) in any way you have to really see through to the characters and their development yeah um but you know I was also a big nerd and like went deep and understood and learned a lot about Josh Schwartz the creator and his backstory and everything and he he was Seth was basically based off of his experience of growing up in suburbia and feeling like an outcast and being into comic books and not being into anything that anyone else was into and I think that being the source material of the show was what really resonated with me even if it was in the backdrop of a beautiful pool house when you were teaching this at Duke which still blows my mind (laughs) to this day I love it so much but as you were making your syllabus or having conversations with students was there anything else you found out about the show when kind of looking at it from a educational perspective oh my god yeah I learned so much yeah and we actually to to teach the class you had to have at least 50 pages of reading every single week associated with the class so we couldn't just like watch the show you know and have people write about it or talk about it we literally had to have like academic like legit readings that were related to the show and and I spent a summer with my friend Katie who my co-professor we spent a summer in the library like digging up material to read and that's what we learned so much of like the, the whole crux of the show wasn't based on these very superficial, like a love triangle, someone in a coma, you know, like the typical soap opera, teen drama-y themes, um, right? Leaving home, blah, blah, blah. It was based on these very, very rich societal or cultural kind of narratives that yes, yeah. uh, were entrenched and were actually, you know, legit written about and discussed and were part of the discourse so you know whether it was we dug into an uh, a, a class about sandy and um and seth and their jewish background and mm. kind of how that reflect the wasp versus jewish background mm-hmm. and how that reflected in the show but also had its own themes in culture and then we also dug into like the underdog and the story of the underdog and how that had evolved over time back to like james dean and you know and ryan and how he was built out of that character i think the biggest thing that i unearthed from teaching the class was just the ripple effect of impact that the OC as a singular show had on 
so much of culture moving forward. Like, there would be no Real Housewives without the OC, to be clear. So, like, our idea of a celebrity completely evolved out of the seed of the OC and this idea of these, like, you know, housewives in the show, right? Uh, There would be no Chuck or Big Bang Theory without the OC, which paved the way for nerd culture and the idea that, like, nerds can be hot. Right, um, there would be no Gossip Girl without the OC. Serena Vanderwoodson would not exist without the OC paving the way for that type of yeah cultural deep dive into a very specific realm of society of upper class society and how warped it is. So I think that was like the big takeaway for me, just how central this show was in transforming so much of pop culture. I think its impact on the broader culture, from music to TV to or an understanding of what a celebrity is was fundamental and started from the seed of what the OC created. And so that is always really fascinating to me. Would you ever do the class again in case anyone listening is interested? Oh my God, yes. I still have the syllabus and it's amazing, okay? It's incredible. Like my masterpiece, the height of my life, like I, my peak, truly the best work I've ever done. So yeah, would love to teach it again. Okay, so that was my other little, that was my little cultural influence. Okay, I'd love to hear more about some other things, maybe, you know, beyond sports, right, that influenced you growing up or as an adult. Yeah, totally. Going going against the chronological timeline that I've set up in my teens, I started to get into fashion. I would get copies of Vogue delivered to the house or see it on stands. You know, the internet at this point is a thing. So I started noticing that there were constant fashion weeks happening and like different cycles of spring, summer, winter, fall, resort, things like that. And not only was I entranced by like, the the beauty of it all but what came through was the creativity of it all and the self-expression of it all and kind of like you and what you found in the OC I saw that all these people had their own way of expressing themselves all of these people were the outcasts Mm. because they were the creatives and they were the dreamers and they had such a steadfast point of view on art and and beauty that it made them different and and they didn't fit in so Learning about high fashion in particular, I remember seeing Alexander McQueen shows, Victor and Rolf shows, Vivian Westwood shows, and what they were able to bring to the table. I was like, this is, fashion is wearable art. You don't just have to go to the MoMA and look at paintings. Art can be worn every day. It can help you fit in. It can help you stand out. Just just wearing something on your body can represent who you are even in its most beautiful or ugly forms. But it stands for something and I can put it on a body and, and that is the fashion that, you know, they strive for. Anyway, so just just getting in into it and understanding it a bit more was huge for me. It helped me understand counterculture mm. better and taking pride in that as a person who always felt like she didn't fit in. The best designers were the ones who pushed against popular culture. They wanted to be different. They embraced their differences. They embraced edge. They embraced taboo. And it made me less afraid to be interested in those things. Like Vivian Westwood, you know, in in the early 1980s with the Sex Pistols, like she was inspired by, you know, S&M and different sexual taboos and things like that and, and turned it into art and turned it into fashion that was wearable in society. So 
just seeing the way designers opened the gate to talk about things that were initially unspeakable was very, very interesting to me and made me less afraid to have those different kinds of interests. I think like another thing is that fashion isn't just to look beautiful. What I saw as a young teenager with what Alexander McQueen was doing, it was not about making women beautiful. Alexander McQueen is famously known for wanting to make women look strong and scary and, to, and intimidating. And as a person who is clearly interested in strength and power, I wanted to wear his clothes because his ethos about fashion for women really resonated with me. And um, I started to learn if, if you want to dress for how you feel or how you want to feel, you, you can do it through clothes. And I learned it kind of through him and what he had to offer. If any of that makes any sense. Yeah. I think I just like hit a lot of different things. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I, knowing you, you know, in your fashion and how essential it is to your identity and kind of how you present yourself to the world, like that totally tracks and makes sense that, you know, as you said, fashion is wearable art. It's a way of expressing yourself and your creativity and maybe even, you know, projecting the things that you don't feel strong at or mm-hmm. good at naturally, but really allowing yourself to embody that feeling or explore that feeling or see what it would be like to be, you know, strong, powerful, scary even, and pushing the boundaries. Like, that's really cool. I was going to ask you why, in particular, like Alexander McQueen and Vivian Westwood, when I think of them, like, and I have very little fashion knowledge, to be clear. When I think of their work in particular, it is a bit more like, provocative mm-hmm. and like a bit more shocking in the fashion world uh, uh, my basic basic knowledge so I was gonna ask you yeah like what do you think specifically about those types of designers gr- made you gravitate towards them yeah on on that side of the spectrum especially when Alexander McQueen was alive like his designs were so unique and he has a really intense background in like tailoring Mm. and so the shapes that he was able to make and the silhouettes that he was able to make accentuated the body to make it look as strong as possible Mm. and then he always was able to juxtapose it with a very fragile material he was able to bring so many contradictions together in into one piece making them look strong and soft and dimensional just every single part was so thought out that it felt like you were wearing a story Mm. um and I think I realized when I was younger but didn't really embrace until I was older was I liked being a part of the counterculture. And so here is a person who is at the height of fame and money and luxury, who is really just digging deep into what makes him and his art and and the people he's dressing different. And he's running with it versus trying to look the same as everybody else. So anyone who's like championing that, I'm totally for. I mean, one of my favorite designers in this world is Tom Ford. Like Mm. just everything he makes is so sexy and gorgeous like everything he does is so hot and and I love that too I I also love beautiful things and I love that someone can accentuate the best parts of a person or that 
beautiful fashion can make someone feel really good and feel like a million bucks and make them feel like the belle of the ball. Sometimes how you look is really how you feel and it puts it puts you in a mindset. Sometimes I don't want to use my voice and sometimes I don't want to use my words. Sometimes yeah. I just want to be seen and people know. So I hope that explains it. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> she I contains multitudes, sports, fashion. Oh. <laughs> like a true Jedi. But before I go on to some, uh, you know, some other random thing, you tell me what, what else has been fundamental for you? Uh, I'll talk about one other big sort of cultural piece or artifact that dramatically influenced my life, which is a book called Women Who Run With Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. If you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to pick up a copy. It's really the reason that I bring it up is because, or two reasons. One, because of the role it played, particularly in my life, I was at a moment when I, in 2016, 2017, where I felt like I had lost my relationship with myself. I had gotten caught up in my relationship with my partner and was feeling like, who am I in this? Am I just part of this couple? Am I just his person or am I my own person? I had been sort of, you know, in my job and in my career making headway, but sort of trying, still trying to figure out what I wanted to do and what my voice was. And I was in this moment of transition. And this book really is all about the female instinct and getting back to the basics of what makes you female, you know, And, and it's not just a, you know, about women, but I think it's about the idea that like you have a deep psyche you have deep intuition and knowing and a sense of understanding of yourself and when you you know get into it what makes you who you are and it helped me as sort of a guide to get back to my sense of my own instinct and what was right and wrong for me and what I really wanted and who I was and what was fundamental to me and so so yeah I bring it up because it was very in in very important part of my journey of navigating a hard transition in my life and trying to get back to my sense of identity and my sense of you know who I was and what I wanted in my life as a woman as someone in a relationship as someone navigating a career and a new city etc and so the book is all about like I think I like the format too of taking it takes a myth or a story you know even like a uh you know, like a, a folk tales as well, and will center around that myth or story or folk tale, and sort of dig out the truths in it. Because every myth or story has some sort of nugget of truth, and it is relatable to everyone. And it'll take out the sort of key takeaways and kind of apply it to how women, in particular, navigate kind of um, their instinctual knowledge around like what's good and bad, what's safe and unsafe around relationships with other people and how you still find yourself but also connect with others um, finding your sense of belonging finding your own idea of sexuality and the sacred forgiveness is a big thing so there's there's chapters on sort of all realms of like what it means to be yourself and connect with yourself it's very spiritual it's a little bit academic so it's right up my alley yeah. but it really used it as sort of a compass during that time of transition to help me better understand myself and how to get in touch with 
my inner voice. So yeah, that was just a little thing. <laughs> I mean, it's a huge thing for you. Like one book like changed how you felt about yourself and your outlook in the world and like yeah. got you through a huge time in your life of like, what is my long-term relationship yeah. and what do I do with it and how do I feel? Yeah. That's huge. Was there like a story or two in particular that had a... Yeah, I think the... I remember I was on a plane to LA. I was doing my first solo trip because that was mm. also like, you know, oh, let me blow up my life. Like, let me go on a solo <laughs> trip. And the first chapter of this book is about, it plays off the story of Bluebeard. And it's about like the initiate, it's called the initiation. And it's about like when you are cut off from your natural instincts. And it's a story about how Bluebeard was this like, you know, mythical character that took a wife and he told her like you can't go into this one room in the house you can do everything you want but you can't go into this one room and she had this like instinct that like something bad was afoot like this man makes sense and something was behind that door that he wanted to keep from her and she opens the door and finds out that he's a murderer and he's a crazy person he's been keeping people you know murdering people in the house anyway it's a myth it's a weird story but the the central you know theme is that as a woman you can easily lose your intuition and mm. lose your sense of what's right and wrong but there is this very strong deep like gut knowing of mm-hmm. what is safe what's not and sometimes you get caught up in a relationship or in a job or in you know whatever is happening in your life and you forget to like nurture that instinct that gut knowledge and that's where you get into trouble and you get fall into traps or you make mistakes or you end up in a relationship you shouldn't be in or etc and so that chapter was all about like remembering to get back to that instinct and honor that gut instinct and I think that for me really just like I knew that this book was for me because I was like I'm struggling with that right now that's what I'm dealing with is I feel like my I've lost my connection to my instinct and my gut and I'm just sort of floating through life and letting things happen to me instead of really nurturing and honoring like what is my gut telling me to do what is my gut telling me it's right and so that's the opening of the book is to like this is all about getting you back in touch with that gut instinct Mm -hmm. because it's human and it's like primitive but it's like in every woman and is your central everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you rely on Mm -hmm. and it can be so easy to fall off so that was kind of a big one for me and then I think there's another one about like creativity and nurturing your own creativity and how especially for women it's easy to get caught up in rearing children or supporting your partner or you know doing whatever you know focusing on your cure whatever and forget to nurture your own creativity and rest and recuperate and whatever that means to you and sometimes women's art in particular is seen as very superficial like painting or knitting or sewing or whatever crazy when a man does it which is crazy yeah exactly and so there's a whole chapter about like kind of yeah nourishing your creative life and how important it is for women to find that and honor that and make it sacred in their day-to-day because it's it's a it's something that we don't always value so that was another one I think and it ties into just being in that transitionary moment in my life where I was like feeling a little bit adrift and realizing that I needed 
needed to nurture myself and I needed to go inward and Mm -hmm. remind myself that I am who I am. I know what's right for me deep down, even when things get confusing. So yeah, I encourage everybody to buy this book. It really helped me. And if you're ever in a transition moment or just trying to figure things out, there's nothing wrong with getting in touch with the female instinct. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I mean, these are just, the stories are tools to get you back in touch with who you are and harnessing that power, right? Like the the first story, having the faith in yourself to act on your gut instinct. Not only do you have to have the bravery to peek behind the door, but you're also like, I have the strength to work through whatever comes behind the door. Exactly, exactly. And I think so many people in this world, whether it's through (laughs) capitalism or the patriarchy or whatever, they are constantly pushing you to ignore your gut instinct. Yes, exactly. Yes. Oh my God. Because it works better for them. Yes. You know? So the only way that like we can make a life livable for ourselves is to continue trusting ourselves, not people who want something out of us. Yeah. And when you feel that weird rumbling in your stomach, that's like something's off. This isn't right. Like, yeah. you know, and that can be because you're in a bad situation or it can just be because like you're a little lost and confused or the, you know, whatever's going on. And just remember to like, listen to that instinct and unpack it. And I think that's the other thing we don't do enough in that capitalism and the patriarchy sort of, and productivity culture yeah. kind of push on us to like not interrogate that just like oh it's fine just keep going just keep going and ignore it when in reality like that's that's what's going to help you find the answer to whatever you're going through so yeah but yeah it's hard to explain because it's so rich you just have to get into it there's so many uh, stories but but, i think it's like net net is this book gives you stories to help you get back to who you are in every way and honor it so that you can navigate this world as yourself not as what others want you to be which hello just me okay (laughs) yeah the the whole premise yeah yeah exactly and yeah yeah, it does feel a bit like visceral and human kind of are you talking about with your experience with the soccer team it's like it does feel very animalistic almost Mm -hmm. and that's like nice about it because like these stories and myths come from tribes right Mm -hmm. and from really early stories and cultures and it's like you're not alone in that experience of losing your way like it's that has happened to people for generations and and so these myths and stories kind of still remain true today and can really help you anyway that's my other little Thing. Get that book, y'all. <laughs> Get the book. I feel like I stock up copies for people. I think you've like, given me my re- copy. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like just at the ready for when I see them in a moment of crisis to be like, I have, <laughs> I have something for you. Uh, it's your own religion that you're, yeah, you know, it is, pushing it out. Is absolutely my own religion. I keep it by my bed at all times. I'm a weirdo. Katie, what's another piece of culture that really influenced you, shaped you? I'm like nervous to say this one. Oh, no, I think this is the most important one. Oh, or a it, big one. Right? Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. We've all been affected by it. You can't even deny it. We can't talk about pop culture without talking about the Kardashians. I mean, it's the necessary evil at Mm -hmm. this point in our lives. I'm going to specifically talk about Kim Kardashian, the, you know, queen of it all. The icon. The icon of it all, for better or for worse. I will just talk about her right now in regards to self-acceptance, body image, things like that, for better and for worse. So... Keep going with me on this journey 
of, of Katie Persicelli growing up. We started with women's <laughs> soccer. We got introduced to high fashion. And now we are in college. Mm. All these interests, you think you're a fully formed person, you realize now you have all these other things to work through, which also includes like acceptance of your physical appearance and your body and things like that. I think college time is such a critical time for women and acceptance yeah. of themselves. I think trigger warning, but like I think eating disorders are at all all time high. At least you know it's it's a very uh, you're going through such intense judgment mm-hmm. by men and women. Anyway, the time is around 2010. We're in college. This is coming from the aftermath of Paris Hilton and yeah. Lindsay Lohan yeah. and all of these women who either naturally or starved themselves to be incredibly thin, incredibly blonde, incredibly tan incredibly rich and I did not have any of that I had been sucking in my stomach for five years already since high school I had tried fitting into clothes that didn't fit me all this stuff I in particular have a large ass people are aware of this sorry (laughs) (laughs) and um you know I it was not a welcome thing for me I felt really ashamed of my body and I was in the gym six days a week, two day, two times a day, kind of thing. It was it was a very intense time in my life, and when Kim Kardashian came on the scene, she like if y'all remember, she was like this cute, thick, natural girl who had dark hair, had you know, quote unquote, like more, am I let's say like exotic features? Like I don't yeah. know, like she she obviously wasn't this blonde haired blue eyed, yeah, ethnically ambiguous. Yes, yeah. that was much closer to how I felt and I looked. And when she became the hot topic in college, which is optimal timing for me, (laughs) you know, seeing her on posters on walls and things like that. And I was like, oh, someone has a body shape that is closer, not definitely not identical, but closer to me. Like as a thicker person, as a a athletic shape, as a normal person. (laughs) Yeah, like just trying to live as like a normal person with an ass and legs and things like that. and seeing her like admired by people, I was like, oh, my, my body is desirable. Mm-hmm. For once in my life, I can feel good about my body because this person who looks more natural than everyone else is up on the wall and being yeah. worshipped. And, and, and she has dark hair like me. She looks ethnically ambiguous. And I was just really excited about that. Did it solve all of my disorders? <laughs> no. But it did make me feel better about myself. And I think it promoted for a long time a healthier body shape the appreciation to go to the gym and not be stick thin Mm -hmm. I just wanted someone to say to me you don't have to be stick thin because I could just never do it as much as I starved myself I just I couldn't get there my body would not let me and and it was a huge relief it also helped me realize me as a white woman feeling like I need representation just to feel good about my body. Holy shit, can you imagine the black women who need it, the Asian women who need it, the Latino women who need it? Like, can you imagine how they feel because I just had the privilege of, oh, I need someone's body type and hair color to make me feel better. But all these other women don't see themselves worshipped the way others worship Kim Kardashian. And so it gave me this greater awareness of what women need in order to feel good about themselves. And it really does start with representation. And I think I'm so grateful 
to actually work in an industry now where we can affect that and we can push and promote that a bit more and actually change culture with who is in front of the camera. And I think me and you try and think about that all the time. Um, so like it, it affected me on a personal level, but also on a professional level. There are a lot of things about the Kardashians that have come to literally bite us in the ass. <laughs> now everything they do, you see what I did there? Now everything they do has such a big impact and they've gotten so carried away in the realm of celebrity that things are fake, they are not natural, there's so much money. Now it's, it's just gotten out of control. So I don't look to them for any kind of guidance about how I should feel about myself. But it was a really nice starting ground for me. And I, and I want to share that story because I, I don't think a lot of people see Kim in that way when she started. Yeah, you're making me think about it too and how much, yeah, it was sort of like a bit of a relief like to see someone different than the, the very standardized, what became very standardized, as you said, Paris Hilton, Nikki Rich... Nicole, Nicole Richie. Richie, Lindsay Lohan, stick thin figure. It was such a relief to see someone just even a little bit different. Like she didn't act different. She didn't wear different clothes. But damn, if she didn't like give you a moment of like, oh, okay, not everybody looks this way. I can eat this mozzarella stick. Yeah, I can eat food. Like yeah. I can, I can be my normal self. And yeah, I think it's interesting too that it sounds like in a way like just her presence in the mix sort of helped you stop fighting against your body a bit and fighting against the ideal but start embracing you and what was normal for you and what worked for you which is huge and yeah I don't think people see Kim that way but that is like it is true she did really break that norm and that was powerful for a lot of women and we all can talk about how painful that time was I think for us that the when thin was in, which makes it so weird that we're now in this cultural moment where the Kardashians are actually bringing that back a bit. I, I'm curious to hear your point of view on that, where Kim has really spearheaded back this idea of like thin being in. Yeah, that fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she like, like wore that one Marilyn Monroe dress and was like, actually, I love being skinny. I love being so skinny. <laughs> I, and honestly, Kim's been very honest about, I think, her weight and the amount of work she puts into her body this yeah. whole time. And I think that, um, I, I mean, the fake stuff I'll get to, but like the fact that like on her show, you see her working out or you see her being like, I am on a diet and things like that. I think it's a re very real representation of a woman whose body fluctuates and she has to put in work in order to fit into those teeny tiny dresses where I was so used to seeing celebrities just be like, I'm naturally like this. Yeah. And it's lies. It's all lies. So at least there was this honesty and transparency. Like when Kim was pregnant, right. she got like really fucking ridiculed or like when she first fell in love with Kanye, she gained that love weight. Mm. She was going going out on ice cream dates she was going to have dinner with her boo-boo like eating food she was eating because she was in love and she was happy and I was like oh that's actually what a happy person looks like is when mm -hmm. they have a little bit of weight on them and she was still loved and adored by the public and so the fact that so much fakery has now been involved whether it's with her face or her getting procedures that people simply can't afford yeah. and now she cosmetically you know has altered herself in a lot of ways of course of course it's disappointing but I think having been there from the beginning you can 
track that and like separate the real from the fake and now I just don't pay attention to it and luckily thank god now we're in our 30s where if thin is in we're like we can't go back to that like I just can't and luckily we are in loving relationships and friendships with people who like us for who we are and so I'm very I'm, I'm a lot stronger at this point of like separating what she does now I don't know like I I can only talk about her beginnings yeah I can't talk about how she is now because I don't think it's great. And I, I wish she was a champion of being real rather than being perfect. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Yeah. God, you guys were like so on point for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we lost you when the money hit, man. Yeah, well, it's hard to build an empire without, you know, acquiescing a bit to the ideal, right? And <laughs> the yeah. status quo. So I get it. I get it. Look but, at you being so props. compassionate. <laughs> I respect and uh, and hate them. Yeah, <laughs> the it, exactly. It's Everyone does, or a lot of people do. Honestly, like, I think their time is hot take. Their time is going to run out. Like, there's nothing real about them anymore. There's yeah. nothing relatable. And it's just like. Oh, God. Like, boring. Yeah, I'd love to see where they are in five to ten years. Yeah. Um, of course, we say this sitting in my one-bedroom apartment. We're like, they ain't shit. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. <laughs> They're not going to be shit in five years. Okay. Yeah, it's easy for the pores to see. Yeah. <laughs> you just wait. They have, they have tons of money. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for going on this journey of our cultural influences oh, with us. You. Now, I th- I'm sure you know a little bit more about us and... <laughs> why we are the way we are and hopefully you also felt a little bit of oh it wasn't just me who loved that thing or was influenced by that thing because that's all we are here to do so we'll do our little pop-off moment after the break sounds good see you there where we take one minute 60 seconds to pop off about something that we don't feel is just us thinking about or just us dealing with big and small silly and important so katie's gonna go first today and her 60 seconds okay. are you ready <laughs> yeah. are you ready to throw down your 60 second yeah. hot take okay let's do it <laughs> all right her oh, wow. 60 seconds starts now okay nope it doesn't it does not start now jk (laughs) it's over it was over all right our 60 seconds starts now okay is it just me or should we not stress so much about gift giving i guess that is part one the holidays are coming up christmas is almost here black friday has happened everyone is really fucking stressed out i'm here to tell you don't stress so much christmas comes every year Mm. And if you really like the person, their birthday comes every year. You have two opportunities a year to get someone a good gift. And you know what? These gifts are for fun. They're for indulgence. They are for wants, not necessarily needs. Like, <laughs> you, like do, do something fun. Do something you think they would actually enjoy. All gift giving comes with good intention, and I think that's what matters most. So when you're shopping on Black Friday, don't just do the logical thing. Don't put so much stress on yourself. Hopefully you and your loved ones have many Christmases to come and, you know, your gift will be perfect. 
Oh, I love that. That is the message we need right now as the frenzy of holiday shopping starts and you get, again, you lose your instinct. You get caught up in like, oh, should I get that thing? Did I spend enough money? Like, is this the right thing? When you know who you're gifting, like, just think deeply about them and it's not that crazy. And then just buy the damn gift. It like... it uh, please give yourself one last thing to stress about right now mm. it's it's a crazy time Ugh, i love that so important <laughs> truly i mean how many how many more things can we stress about how many more things can we put on the list we can't we can't we cannot Don't put stress on your list gifts are fun yeah gifts should be fun i love that that's it and you're yeah. my queen gift giver so i hope this applies to you <laughs> thank you thank you i did need that i needed yeah. to hear that uh, yeah. as black friday was looming over me i love it Thanks, girl. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Are you ready for your pop-off? I am, I am. It's going to be in line with our pop culture theme, I think, today. So we'll see how this goes. But... Can you do it in a minute? No, definitely not. Gotcha. All right, well, I will let you know when a minute is up, and then we can okay. keep going. Okay, okay, okay. ready? This is, this is more than a minute. Worth more than a minute. Ah! But... <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, Go. Okay, is it just me or do we need to all have a moment for Mac Miller? Like, I know, you know, I think about him once a year, every year on the day of his death, and he always like comes into play in my mind. But lately, I've been thinking about him a lot since then, since September. And he is just, was just such an icon, such an amazing human. And we lost him too young. And his art is incredible unbelievable and I've been really just digging into swimming and circles and just the the range of his work his ability to go deep and be vulnerable with us everything he gave to us from musically spiritually as a human as a celebrity I think we should just yeah if you if you were a Mac Miller fan if you know him if you don't know him get into him and give him some of your time and some of your your energy because it's worth it and I miss him dearly and I yeah I'm really sad about all the things that he could have done, but really happy for all the things that he did do. Aww. Yeah, yeah. I think he was a huge cultural influence for me, and I'm kind of coming back around to him now as an adult, not a you know young college kid when I started listening to him, and it has been really, really wonderful. And there, I think everybody can relate to that feeling of like someone that you really loved growing up or maybe an album that hit you, and then you come back to that artist and their repertoire later on, and you start to learn new things and feel new things and it's particularly potent or poignant with Mac because he is gone and will no longer be producing music obviously but but yeah he was just a great great artist great person and I hope everybody can sort of give him a little bit of time because he deserves it and his work deserves it you were mentioning before that you listen to the podcast series dissect Mm -hmm. so like if you're a bigger music nerd or you really like Mac Miller and you haven't listened to this highly highly recommend so good because it picks apart you know the production of it all the inspiration the creativity behind Mm -hmm. all of his work and like to get into that thought process to get a little bit inside of his brain and especially now that he's gone and can't explain it himself it just gives you more appreciation I'm sure 
Yeah, and it it gave me some peace a little bit. I think if you were following Mac Miller, if you cared about his music, you were pretty shocked by his death. And yeah. I think it, so, so. you know, it was not something that I needed closure on, but something that felt like gut wrenching and very sad and un, and just unfortunate. And I think listening to this podcast and getting into his albums a little bit deep more deeply gave me a lot of peace and just made me feel like wow, he was able to create such great stuff. It's not just about what he left behind or, or what he left on the table but he left behind what he left behind was so great yeah. and so I think it gave me a little bit of peace and made me feel excited and happy to be on this new journey with him a little bit and that there's still more to discover even it even though he his life technically is over but yeah great cultural influence of pop culture icon we would be remiss to not mention yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite things about Mac is watching him be interviewed because he really broke the mold in terms of like rapper behavior. Yeah. Rap is such a tough genre to exist in because I think it's held up by such toxic masculinity standards. Mm -hmm. And he really broke the mold, at least with his public persona and the way he viewed music. He he was really spreading kindness and generosity mm-hmm. and the appreciation of being creative and being a weirdo yeah. and just embracing vulnerability and, and differences in order to do something that he really loved and, and could bring to people. And I think so much of the rap game is still so rooted in like money, women, flashiness, <laughs> swag, being sinister, all these things, which is so fun and cool. But like... To have someone break from the mold and just be rooted in kind of kindness and wellness towards others feels so genuine and cool and different. Yeah. Miss him. Aww. All right, P-boo. Rip. We love you. Love you. <laughs> and now we're all in our feelings. We, yeah, just put on some swimming or circles or... <laughs> I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> just get into it, man. It's it's good good music. It's good sounds. Good for this vibe. Good mm-hmm. for the vibe. Well, we will see you next time as we ra- round out the year. We'll have some more of these fun grab bag pop-offs because they always give us joy and hopefully give you guys a little bit of joy. But we're excited that we have come to almost a full year with you guys and more to come. Oh my God. Can you even <laughs> believe it? Lord, no. help us. I truly can't. We're I think we, there. we have to honor and celebrate it as we close out the year. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. See you later. Love ya. Yeah. Bye. 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 Oh,